Here's an experiment for you. Take passionate experts in human resource technology. Invite cross-industry experts from inside and outside HR. Mix in what's happening in people analytics today. Give them the technology to connect. Hit record. Pour their discussions into a beaker. Mix thoroughly and voila. You get the HR Data Labs podcast, where we explore the impact of data and analytics to your business. We may get passionate and even irreverent, but count on each episode challenging and enhancing your understanding of the way people data can be used to solve real-world problems. Now, here's your host, David Turetsky. Hello and welcome to the HR Data Labs podcast. I'm your host, David Turetsky. Like always, we find people inside and outside the world of HR to talk about what's going on in HR technology, people data, and people analytics. Today, I have a very special group of people with me. And by the way, Dwight Brown, you're hosting as well, so you're going to be included in that too. (laughs) But we have the entire Turetsky Consulting Group, eBay, Carissa, Lori, and Dino. Hey, everybody. Hey, David. Hello there. Hi. So today we thought we would do something special. It's a special day for us. We're going to have a roundtable discussion around things that we're thinking about in the world of people analytics. We have three very interesting topics and we're going to plow right ahead. The first question that I have for the team is, I've heard the word used or the phrase used, talent intelligence. What is talent intelligence? Right. Good question. So I I heard the phrase for the first time today, and I decided to do a little bit of digging. My background is in talent management. So I hear a lot of words, a lot of buzzwords, and I'm always trying to understand what does this mean? How does this tie into the big picture? For those who might not be too familiar with talent management, it is pretty much the whole reason why we do talent management is to attract, develop, and retain top talent. That's what I did for years. I know that inside and out. So when I hear talent intelligence, I'm like, is this just a spin on what I've always known to do (laughs) or is it really something different? And what I found from different sources was that it is a focus on talent, but business intelligence. So you're looking at your data, you're using technology to draw conclusions and kind of find ways to, I guess, in, in, in a way, make your talent better. But the one thing that I saw that was different that I wasn't expecting was that one source said that it comes from the competitor. Hmm. So it's not so much your internal talent intelligence, it's the intelligence of your competitors. And when I saw that, I said, that's interesting. That's my first time seeing something that said that we need to look at our competitors' talent as opposed to our own. Interesting. So it becomes more like an index of Mm -hmm. how I fit against other people in the competitive space. Interesting. Yeah, I've been in talent management a long time too. And one of the things that I think is fascinating is there's a lot of ways that we can measure talent. And unfortunately, what has typically happened, especially in the compensation and the assessment space, we start to get very technical. We start to go into skills and we start to talk about how do I measure the skills necessary for a job versus assessing someone and finding out how much they have and what the gap analysis is and then how to train that away so that a person can do their job more effectively. And we've talked to some companies on this actually about assessing people on their entry 
and then closing any gaps we might have for that person as they develop in the role so they can be the best they can be in that role. So to me, when I think about the term talent intelligence, I think about how much do we know about our people and how much have we understood about what the needs are that they might have and how do we set up a plan for them to be able to achieve those things. So I'm fascinated to talk about this because we've been in the world of talent management for a long time. Talent management exists around recruiting, around compensation, around performance and OD, a lot of OD things, organizational development. Um, and there are sciences around them, right? There are, there are definitely people who take it to the to a very large extent using data for regression analysis to find how do we know that this person's going to be successful in this organization and trying to come up with different types of assessments and quizzes and other things. But to me, it's about making people or understanding where people are and how to get them to the right place so that they can perform the best and so they can have a good career and yeah. understand where their career needs to go and what training they need to get there. Yeah, I think sometimes we get too fascinated with the science and the technology of it and forget the human component. Sure. We're all humans first. And that was one of the things that when I would consult clients on talent management, I would always say, let's not forget that we're all humans. And that's the biggest part that we need to lead with. When we're doing assessments, when we're doing our check-ins and progression and development, we're still humans. That's right. That's right. And we may have more needs outside of just normal training or normal assessments. Has any of you ever taken an assessment? Have ever have you ever done an assessment on a either on an application or when you're applying for a job? I've done assessments on Indeed, which yeah. have been really all over the place. Some of them I feel are very pertinent and can help employers know whether this is the right candidate or not. Right. And some of them feel completely arbitrary. Some of them felt very common sense. Yeah. Like this is basic math. Yes. <laughs> um, or right. this is the way that we do the alphabet in America. Yes. Yeah. But some of them I do feel like could have been possibly insightful for the employers. I don't know how insightful since a lot of those didn't hire me. So they're a loss. <laughs> sure. <laughs> right? huh. But one of the fascinating things about those assessments, especially if you've taken them recently, they start to ask much more technical questions. So if you've been on Indeed or you've been on LinkedIn and tried to apply for a job, you get assessments. They should be much more pertinent to the skills that you're trying to utilize in those jobs. And I found it fascinating that those assessments are getting much more, much more targeted and much more specific about certain skills and descriptions of those skills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've taken assessments that have asked me about Excel for executive level positions. Yeah, do you have basic <laughs> Excel? Sure. Okay, then prove it. Here's five questions about Excel. Okay, great. I'm sure it's useful, but I, I, I think, Carissa, there are exceptions and there are actually much more targeted assessments that are actually doing some good. How do you feel about personality assessments with fit for culture for organizations? So how many of us have actually taken a Myers-Briggs personality I assessment? I have. I've taken, I have. I've taken a lot of them. Not mm -hmm. for work, though. Laura, you didn't take one a part, as part of uh, Workscape or ADP? I may have. Obviously, it didn't... Uh... <laughs> Don't. No. You have a great personality and it fits in. <laughs> What's really fascinating is that if you look at the six of us who are on the podcast right now, we all have vastly different cultures, but we have extremely good cultural fit together. 
We mm-hmm. work very well together, right? Had we all taken <laughs> a personality yeah. assessment, I wonder what it would actually show. And maybe we should do that afterwards, Dwight. We, maybe we should find a good one that we can uh, all take. And then maybe yeah. in the liner notes, we'll put how we did. <laughs> but one of the fascinating things is that they actually do predict, Carissa, they actually do predict whether a team will be successful together for no other reason that if there are people on the team who work in different ways and those may clash culturally, you will find that they have terrible times working together. Now, there are some people say that opposites attract. Definitely not in the working world when you're trying to achieve (laughs) common goals. So sometimes that actually is true that personality assessments actually do help. One thing I think is really fascinating, because I love personality tests a lot. I've taken a lot of different ones. And my favorite one is the Enneagram, which is nine personality types. And then there's like subtypes. So it's pretty complex. And one thing that the Enneagram really, if you study it, really drives home is that you may be this type, but if you are an unhealthy version of that type, (laughs) you're not going to work well with anybody because you're an unhealthy person. So the idea of... We can personality type people and everybody could be the right type that they should work together. But if they're all toxic or they're all unhealthy as people, then it's not going to work anyway. So a personality Mm -hmm. test can only tell you so much because your personality may be one way. But if you're in a really unhealthy space in your life and you're going to be cruel to other people or whatever the case may be, then the personality test isn't going to really guarantee that you're going to work well with others, period. It is very true. That's a good so point. State of mind is very important when you're going yeah. into these things. I, I think, you know, assessments are very, very helpful in many ways. They help us to be able to really identify skill sets and personalities like we've been talking about. But I think it's also very necessary that everybody understand what the limitations are of the various assessments that we're giving people or taking ourselves because it really gets back to something that Evie touched on that at the end of the day, there are still people behind these things. Sure. And we can never create a total model of people based on ones and zeros. You know, we are not built up of ones and zeros. And so it's necessary when thinking about these sorts of things in the organization in whatever part and in whatever function of the organization that we also be very clear on what the limitations are and we adapt accordingly. I think, and maybe this is the completely wrong way of looking at it, but I look at them as a baseline, kind of similar to, this isn't the same, but like SATs, right? Mm -hmm. When kids are preparing for college and they take the SATs, I'll just personally use my daughter as an example. She's an incredibly bright woman and does very well. Yet on the SAT, she came out of it thinking I did great and she did just fine, right? She wasn't Mm -hmm. in didn't overachieve. So there's caution to be used, right? Because if you're using the SAT as an example, that is not the whole of her, right? It's one, it's a piece of her. There's so much more. So I feel the same way, obviously, with these assessments. And I guess for me, as a 
as an analytics guy, when I hear about this assessment, and Lori, I'm a little bit with you there because I'm one of these people that, that really freezes when there's a test. Same I, here. I don't like them. I get very intimidated and sure. I generally don't do as well as I would like to do. I hope that is not a reflection of my general intelligence, but I'll leave that to others to assess. But the point there is, as an analytics person, I would encourage companies who use assessments as opposed, I'm not going to say whether you should or you shouldn't, I don't know, but at least measure whether it's materially impacting your business. We know the nice thing about these things is there's a lot of data. And instead of just accepting what a vendor, for example, might say, oh, this test is an indicator of performance, go ahead, try it, measure it. Does it really indicate performance? Have a control group that uh, does not use the test and the control right. others that do and, and see over time. It requires some patience and some investment. And I, I don't think a lot of companies do that. A lot of teams don't do that is question their vendors and to actually measure for themselves whether some of these tools um, have impact. And maybe we should be doing more of that because sometimes that's the only way you can really figure out if things work or not for you. That's a great point. Yeah, it is a great I point. I agree. And by the way, on that point, there have been lots of studies that showed that there are certain groups where these types of assessments are extremely valuable, like sales groups or call center groups, where there are certain skills that are very, not. I don't want to say the word easy. It's not that they're easy to model and easy to test, but they're easier to assess. And thus, the measurement of them and then the testing of the efficacy of the results leads to higher performing teams. So yeah. it's not every group that can do this. And it's certainly not every culture and every company that can do this. So to your point, measure, do the scientific method and, and see how it turns out. And use it as a signal. Don't use it as the word. Mm-hmm. Yep. This brings us to our next conversation, which is about artificial intelligence in the world of HR. Now, we've had this as a full podcast and we've talked about AI. And the reason why that's interesting given the last topic that we have is that AI uses signals to be able to make recommendations or to give decisions or to make at least suggestions. And there are certain companies, actually there's a certain car company right now that's in the news around their AI (laughs) and how it may be trained wrong. But let's talk about HR and the world of HR and how AI can impact the world of HR and for good or bad. So, yeah, I'm sorry. I need a bit of a of a break while I get my soapbox ready because I'm going to stand <laughs> up on it and, and do my usual You're speech, which is, right now. Yeah. <laughs> which is that I'm a big skeptic and I think yeah. more people should be skeptics. I think AI is cool and it's also scary and it requires us to know what we mean by AI. AI is ultimately about data and all AI is the same in that it is an algorithm that has to learn and it learns by looking at historical data. So, the data you train the AI on will inform whether you right. what the AI is all about. It's kind of like people, right? You go to a right. bad, you know, school and you might not be a great, you know, student when you come out. It's it's kind of the same thing. And so if you're going to use AI, you better know the data because that is going to inform the kind of AI that you get. And I think there because it's such an abstract and difficult thing to understand, a lot of people We'll rush to it because it's new and exciting. I remember HR Tech a few years ago. Every 
almost every company there had the letters A and I in their name. Yeah. And yet, what is it really doing? What is this AI? I think there's a lot of opportunity for AI, don't get me wrong, I, especially in automation. I think right. that is one area where it's really powerful, where especially for repetitive tasks, AI can see the repetition and model that and maybe teach the application to do some of it itself as opposed to the end user having to constantly repeat a process. Where I get a little bit more squirrely with AI is where it starts to make judgment calls, deciding who to interview, for example. That's right. where things get a little weird. And so <laughs> I would just encourage everybody to be a healthy skeptic with some sure. of this stuff. Well, we've talked about this in the past, which is one of the really great uses of AI could be finding holes in data sets, right? Finding incongruous data and being able to call it out and say, is this really true? And then helping the end users who don't want to pour through millions of records to go through and actually find those holes that could lead to errors in outcomes if they weren't found, right? So whether it's in algorithms, whether it's in predictive modeling, whether it's in AI and using AI to train something else, use the bots to find the bad data first before you go and do anything more higher level on that stuff. Yeah, I agree completely. That kind of a hybrid approach where AI makes the human more productive, but does not right. take the human out of the equation uh, right. is a much more realistic, I think, uh, objective. Absolutely. One of the areas that I've seen and heard recently is looking at the use of AI for candidate filtering for applicants for a position. And you know, I never cease to be amazed at our capabilities of developing hacks for everything. Mm -hmm. And uh, so one of the, I was talking with one person and they said, yeah, the, I put my resume out there and it's looking for all these keywords. I'm supposed to have all these keywords in my resume to, to filter it to the top of the pack. And I just can't do that. So what I did was in very small white font on my resume I just took every buzzword they had in the job description and put it in there. It was invisible to the reader, yeah. but the AI picked it up. Right. And that's a that's another limitation that's out there. And it, as AI continues to develop, so too are the hacks. Or Dino also talked about there could be errors in algorithms. And sure. so there's there there are those sorts of things too to be thinking about as we employ AI more and yeah. more in our processes. Yeah, Dwight, for any of anybody who's tried to apply for a job in the last year and a half and then gotten a rejection notice less than 10 minutes after hitting the submit button, there's not a human on the other end who's just waiting and dying to get that resume in, pouring through it for all of about five minutes and then hitting a button that's not happening. So right. there is artificial intelligence that's filtering through the resume and the application and saying no. And so to Dino's point, one of the things that we would hope is that they're using, the, they meaning the TA staff, they're using the AI to put in people in buckets and then do a review themselves. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we know that's not happening and, and the AI is just rejecting people wholesale. Yep. Yeah, you, you lose great potential. I would dare venture to say uh, past a year and a half. I think that happened to me back in 2015. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm not saying this is a late breaking news. This has been happening for a while, but it's getting more rampant now. I think the AI has actually taken over a lot of the filtration to yep. the extent at which what Dwight is talking about, the hacks. 
people are making hacks to this stuff and it's not just putting you know your skills up front on the resume it's literally embedding either in the metadata or in hidden font or whatever putting that stuff actually either even copying the job description into your resume there are lots of hacks you can do and it's really disappointing it is yeah. Yeah. i actually used that hack and i actually got an interview once i realized that keywords was the problem I, I didn't do the white font. I didn't know yeah. about that. <laughs> but I actually worked it into my resume and I got an interview and I got the job. So and by the way, Turetsky Consulting does not use Oh no, AI it wasn't Turetsky Consulting <laughs> many years ago. We are <laughs> many, much many more personal ago. than that. Yeah, yes. definitely. <laughs> yeah. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by Turetsky Consulting and listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now, back to the show. So let's go to our third question for the podcast, which is, how has the business intelligence and analytics market changed in general? And how does that apply to HR? I think, you know, having, I've been in this space pretty much my whole career, unintentionally, by the way, but nevertheless, that's where I've been. And so I've seen a bunch of stuff happen. And one of the things that I've seen happening for a little while now, and I'm really excited about it, is that analytics and business intelligence, whatever you want to call it, is getting closer to the business applications that it's designed to measure. So what I mean by that is, for example, I don't know if you follow tech much, but Tableau, one of the biggest business intelligence tool companies out there, was bought by Salesforce, one of the biggest business application vendors in the world. And that's what I mean, is this has been going on for a while. I myself worked at Business Objects, which was bought by SAP. Analytics are tied fundamentally to the business processes uh, that are measured using those tools. And the industry was born separate from those business applications, right? Tableau was founded as an analytics company only without any data, without any application to measure. And the idea was you can put it on top of anything. And that's true, but that is work for you, the client. That is an effort you have to do, which is technical, primarily technical, to get that analytic tool to do what it needs to do. And I find that the effort, because it is so hard and it is so technical, it ends up being all about wiring everything up. And the focus isn't where I think it should be, which is adoption. And adoption isn't just about training. It isn't just about change management. If anything, change management to me is a bit disappointing because it's after the fact. It's like, oh, we've got the tool. We've got the thing. We just got to convince everybody to use it. And by convince, I mean force, right? Right. Um, (laughs) And in reality, it's the other way around. The change management should happen at the very beginning. Are we solving a problem that people care about? Yes or no? And instead of talking, which is what we do with training and change management, we should be listening. What problem do you really have that data can help you solve? And, you know, our users don't know. All we can do is listen to the problems and then say, hey, I see an opportunity here. I think if we give you this, you could do a better job. We talked about talent intelligence earlier. If as a recruiter, you knew what the market was paying for a particular job right now in this moment, could you do a better job of recruiting? Probably. Okay, so my job is to give you that data. If we orient it that way, spend more time listening before we buy and build a technology uh, and then make sure that what we design is attuned to our users, it's better. And so when these technologies, these analytic tools are part of the business applications that they are measuring, it's easier to remove those technical barriers 
and therefore easier for us as business users to make sure we're solving a real problem and not focusing instead on wiring everything up. Do you know, remember back to the beginnings of HR dashboards, right? People would put together these PowerPoints or these Excel spreadsheets that had four or five different metrics in them. They'd send them out to their users and they'd say, there you go. Here's your headcount. Here's your turnover. Yeah, I've solved your Are problem. You happy? Here you go. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Did they ever ask the business question, what is going on in your business and how can I help you? Right. Did they ever ask the questions, the right question? So mm-hmm. I guess my comment back to you is has the evolution of business intelligence been created? Has it evolved? Because we're now able to ask better questions. We're now being trained, or at least part of us are being trained to ask better questions about the, from the data to try and help the business. I hope so. And I think the answer is yes, especially as roles like HR analysts have evolved and they're less and less about just getting a bunch of data out of a system and putting it into another system, but rather understanding the business. Why does the business need data? Where could the business use more data? And then figuring out how to get that delivered. As that role gets more sophisticated, I think we are getting closer to this. And that's why I'm happy that the technology industry is starting to solve more and more of those technical hurdles so that HR departments and IT departments spend less of their energy and money on those technical problems, which I think are distractions, and instead get to under doing what exactly what you said, understanding the business problems we're trying to solve and finding ways to have HR data help solve those problems. When you mentioned change management at first, Dino, and you said, I forgot exactly what you said, but it wasn't a good thing. And I was like, no, I love change management. But you explained further that people are performing change management in the incorrect order. They roll something out, think, fix what they think they're fixing. And then, like you said, they say, this is change management. We're forcing you to do this. I'm a big promoter of change management because I believe in requirements gathering. I was telling someone today on the call, I love requirements gathering. I just feel like it helps you build a foundation to whatever you're building or fixing. And if it is shaky, good luck down the road. You know, the thing's mm-hmm. going to come tumbling down. Yeah, I should um, probably qualify my statement because now all the change management people hate me. What I meant, what I should have said was change management without proper understanding of the business problems that you're trying to solve is not really the way to do it, right? If you're only using change management to force a bunch of people to use something, I think you're missing right. it. And I, I think with the analytics world, this is kind of a problem. We build it and expect them to come and then they don't come. And so we just give them more and more training, thinking that's the problem. It's like, well, maybe the problem is you're giving them something they don't really think they need. Mm -hmm. So that's the thing. Yeah. And I think that I would echo the training piece of things. And that's one piece that I've seen morph over the years is so much more emphasis on giving the users their dashboard, but also spending the time to be to teach them how to look at the data, the right questions to ask from the right. data, and really understand it deeply. And and the benefit that we get from that is they when they come back to us to modify their dashboards or reports or whatever that is, they start to think more deeply about both those business questions, but also about the data that we are or can provide them. Right. And I think as they understand more about the data behind the data and the meaning behind the data that's there, 
the we end up with this great feedback loop that ends up happening to help refine the the processes around dashboarding and reporting and and business intelligence in in general. Well, they become better consumers, right? And exactly. so, as better consumers, now they can ask for better products, right? When I think about HR and I think about talent, I, I think this is starting to be pretty evident, especially post COVID, that. Talent is just like any other competitive edge when it comes to business, when it comes to an organization. They have to understand that talent is just like you come up with this brand new product or you sell something or whatever it is that's your competitive edge. Mm -hmm. Your talent is right up there. And so it is aligned with business objectives. That's one of the things that I I came to understand once I got into talent management, just how much, how closely they're tied to each other and how much they impact each other. They're not separate. They're not, you know, with with the HR, HR data doodles, we see that constantly how people try to separate HR and business. And it's like, no, (laughs) right? right. because without your workforce, what do you have unless you're (laughs) self-employed? And, you know, but even if you're exactly. self-employed, it, it's still the same equation. Yeah, it's still the same equation. Right. You still have to have those skills or whatever yeah. it is. So, yeah. So we've talked a lot today about the things that are going on in the world of people analytics. We brought up three fascinating topics. One, which is around talent intelligence. Then we talked about the use of AI and HR. And then we talked about the evolution of business intelligence and analytics. And I guess I just wanted to ask the Turetsky Consulting Group if they had any last thoughts before we close today. eBay, anything? Uh, Yeah, more than anything. I'm really glad to be here. I've learned so much just from joining the group. I'm always in student mode. So the things that I learned from talent and the things that I'm learning now is just kid in a candy store. Great. (laughs) Thank you. Carissa, anything? This was fun. And it's good to talk to everybody. And everybody has a lot to share. And that's always good. Get different perspectives. Lori? I echo Carissa's sentiments. I listen to these every week, of course, as an employee. But it was nice to partake. And it was an easier conversation than I had uh, thought it would be. So thank you. You're welcome. Dino, any last thoughts? No, it's always fun to see when we put a bunch of people together, what comes out of it, which I think was the original spirit of this. So I continue to enjoy that. And Dwight, the co-host. Yeah, I I would echo what everybody else has said. I've learned so much from you guys over the time that I've been working with you. And I always appreciate the variety of thoughts and perspectives that each of us brings to the table. And this was just yet another illustration of that. So outstanding. And thank you for listening. And I appreciate your time. And we would love to hear your feedback. If you have any feedback, please go to TuretskyConsulting.com slash podcast and let us know. Also, if you like the episode, please hit subscribe. And if you know of somebody who might find some value in the conversation, please send it over to them. But thank you very much. Take care and stay safe. That was HR Data Labs. Please visit TuretskyConsulting.com forward slash podcast to review the show add comments about this episode, or add new ideas about upcoming shows you'd like to hear. Feel free to be creative, but please be nice. Thank you for joining us this week on the HR Data Labs podcast, and stay tuned for our next episode. Stay safe.